So bow your heads and close your eyes. That's all. I'm going to give you an invitation. No, I'm not giving an invitation. Bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment with only you and God and me looking, so to speak. How many of you, as by raise of hand, would consider humbly, consider that you have a great faith? Before we even figure out what that means tonight, how many of you would say, I think I have a great faith? And from what I understand, that I have a great faith. If you say that is true for you, raise your hand. Okay. You can open your eyes. What constitutes a great faith? Uh, Let me point out a difference. There are great stories of faith, and there are stories of great faith. And those two are not synonymous. In fact, let me tell you how crucial this passage is, although maybe it's not... Uh, been brought to your attention very often. It is the only time in all of the Gospels or the New Testament that Jesus commends anyone's faith or describes it as great. This is the only time. And I'm going to tell you how significant that is so that when we actually tackle the passage itself, you understand how significant this story really is. Um, If I was going to do a series on Matthew on faith. I would call it the faces of faith because there are a number of stories and all of them, and I'm going to give them to you if you'd like to write them down or make note of them for your own study. Um, I'm going to tell you about real quickly all the people that have commendations by Jesus about their faith. Now, I'm going to tell you this. There are a lot of major players in the gospel of Matthew There are crowds, there are religious leaders, there are disciples. None of them, listen, none of them, including the 12 that follow Jesus, have a positive commendation about their faith from Jesus. Not a single one of them. (laughs) So, there are, though, however, five that do. Let me tell you about who they are. And they are minor characters And even more than that, you're going to find out that they are outsiders. And I'm going to tell you what that means. Let me list them for you. These are the five people in Matthew's gospel that when their faith is talked about, Jesus commends it. He applauds it. He says something very positive about it. The first one being uh, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 10, if you want to write that one down. The Roman centurion. When he says that, Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. You can just say the words right here and it'll be done. Jesus says this. Listen to this. He says, I have not found such a faith by anyone else in Israel. So he says, I've looked all over Israel and I haven't found any Jewish people, anyone who is God's people, who has the kind of faith that this guy has. Now watch, because he is a Roman centurion. So when he says in Israel, he means this Roman, a Gentile, a pagan, by the way, enemy, has better and stronger faith than any Jewish person he's met. Now imagine who that list includes. Second, chapter 9 and verse 2 are the friends of the guy who's paralytic. And I thought, I I don't want to give away anything, Mike, so sorry if I do, but... 
I am told by this year that one of the new scenes we have is this story, that the paralytic guy, right, is going to open the roof and come down. I'm, that's super exciting um, to see that going to take place. Um, but this story, these guys are commended by Jesus about their great faith that they're going to let him down through the roof and believe that Jesus can uh, heal him. Um, the third one is Matthew chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, the woman with the issue of blood, right? 12 years, she hasn't had it. And, and we already heard about that a little bit tonight. Chapter 9, verse 29. Two blind men who are waiting outside the city and Jesus comes by and he asks them if they believe and they have the faith. He says that your faith will heal you. Two blind men. And then lastly, obviously our passage makes up the last episode of someone whose faith is commended by Jesus. But notice who they are. Roman centurion, a, politic, uh, a paralytic's friends, woman with the issue of blood who was unclean, Gentile, outsider, unclean, blind, and Canaanite with a demonized daughter. Now, if you had to make a hall of faith, Hebrews 11, if you had to make a hall of faith in Matthew... You wouldn't have thought to put these people in it. But the reality is, is they would be the only ones in it. <laughs> Surprising, isn't it? So great faith, can I say it to you this way, is not about who you are. It's about your understanding of who he is. Right? So let me tell you this, plain and simple. Anybody, anybody, who sees Jesus for who he really is and trusts that, can have great faith. So if you did not raise your hand tonight, and if you're a believer and you said, you know what, I don't know that if I have great faith, I don't know if that's a word that would, or a describer, an adjective that would appropriately describe my faith. Can I tell you this? You can. Because there isn't anything special about any of the individuals who are commended by Jesus for their faith, and in particular this woman who has great faith, who is seemingly singled out by Jesus as having the ultimate faith, right? Now, I want to tell you how important this is, and write these verses down, because in the context surrounding the story I just read you, describing the woman's great faith, there are stories about other people's faith, and the reason that he does that. Matthew wants you to see this woman's faith in light of other people who should have had equal to or greater faith in her than as she did, but did not. So I'm going to tell you what they are. Write down Matthew 13, 58 and Matthew 17, 17. Jesus is in his hometown. He grew up there. They have seen miraculous things, miraculous things. But Jesus calls them his own hometown. He says, I could not do anything more here because of you have no faith. In the Greek, it is apistis, which means faith with a negative particle on front of it, meaning you have no faith at all. In other words, they saw all the miraculous things, but they still didn't believe. So it is not someone who has great faith, is not because they've seen things that he's done. And while, oh, of course he can do that because I've seen him do stuff. 
That's not what makes great faith. So no faith. Chapter 17, verse 17, the disciples are brought this, this person who has such a strong for demon control of them and they can't cast the demon out and Jesus comes and he gets a little bit mm, frustrated right and he says oh you faithless opistus no faith generation you're perverse wow now let me tell you this so let me tell you the, the kind of faith you have matters it matters to Jesus he says faithless and perverse generation, when will you believe? And even though they had seen him and he had told them that they had given power over all the demons, they still couldn't drive this demon out. And Jesus is negative about it because they have no faith. Those two chapters, 13 and 17, surround our story, which is in the middle, 15. Also surrounding it, Numerous times, and I'm going to give you the whole list. This is worth your study on your own. That is the five times that the little phrase that other than one or two other times is only used in Matthew's gospel, and that is this descriptor, little faith. So we have three times of faith described in this gospel. No faith, little faith, great faith. Now, you'd be surprised because of who has all of these different kinds of faith. The kind of reverse of who you think would be described this way. Little faith is used in these ways. Chapter 6 and verse 30, he talks to people not to have little faith in the Sermon on the Mount. The other four times. So basically, other than the one Sermon on the Mount, all the four times he talks about people who have little faith, every time it is describing the 12 disciples. <laughs> Who heard him teach and saw him do more things than them? The answer, class, nobody. Nobody. So let me tell you this. You can be close to Jesus, meaning you know all about what he says. You know all about what he can do. It does not mean that you will have great faith. So, the other passages, 826, 1431, 168, 1720, all of those, and they are about, two of them are on the water and the storm and they're on the boat. And Jesus says, when they have to wake him up and they question whether he really loves and cares about them, Master, we're perishing, right? And all those times, Oh, you of little faith. Not that they were faithless like the other group, but they had very little faith. And he gets upset with them, literally like you woke me up and you never should have, right? I'm planning on using that at home pretty soon. But he said you really should never, because if he was there and you know who he is, listen, and you know what his mission is and what he's going to do, you wouldn't have bothered. So faith is not any of those things. Great faith is not who you are. It's not what you know and have seen. It's not about those things, right? It's different than that. Great faith is not by insiders in Matthew's gospel. 
It's not by the religious leaders. It's not by the guys who walk with Jesus every day. It's not by any of those people. The great faith and the examples of positive faith are all by outsiders who no one would have ever suspected that they would be models for Matthew to write about. And they conclude Gentiles, women, Romans, and people who would be considered unclean and ceremonially defiled. So great faith, this woman's faith, listen, is better than the disciples, better than the religious leaders. And I'm going to tell you why. The religious leader, every time Jesus does something or tells them something or truth, they're always offended by it. Watch this woman in this text. When Jesus says to her, nothing the first time she asks him, it says he doesn't even say a word Now, you would think, oh, Jesus is ignoring me. I think I I understand. This isn't happening. Not with this woman. She doesn't go away. You know what she does? Talks louder. So much she talks louder that the disciples tell Jesus, can you ask this woman to get out of here? She's ruining our day. Doesn't stop her. So he finally answers her and says, I've only been sent to the lost house of Israel. You know what that means? I'm not a sheep of Israel, and I'm not a Jew. So if he's going to say something to me, he just ended my hopes because I'm not going to be able to become a Jew anytime soon. Do you think that stopped her? No. And then he says to her, listen, you know, it's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, there is a way to say dogs that was a very rude way of saying Gentile. Jesus doesn't use the scavenger kind of dog. This is a word, believe it or not, they had different words. This kind of dog is the dog you have in your house. How many have dogs? Right? Oh, not that many. How many of you had cats? Not that many. (laughs) All righty then. Uh, Dogs, this is a dog that was a house dog. And the the house dog, I don't know, how many of you have dogs who feed your pets off the table? Any, Any scrappers, people? Yes, good. Yes, I love fat animals. It's good to have that. So this dog, this is a dog that you have in your house. And he says to her, don't feed the dog. She says, yeah, but the master even gives the dog crumbs from off the table. Now, that's what Jesus is talking about. This is a woman that goes after Jesus, and every time he tells her no, she comes back with another argument. Because why? Because what do we know about great faith? It's not about who you are. It's about knowing who he is. She knows she's an outsider. But she has different faith. Unlike the Pharisees, she's not offended. Unlike the disciples who, when something goes wrong, gives up on the fact that Jesus might still do it. She's not like either one of those. She doesn't have no faith and she doesn't have little faith. She's different than the rest of them. And so the two people in Matthew's gospel that are given the greatest commendations of faith are a Roman man and a Canaanite woman. Now, why does that strike you? It should anyways. Because Rome is the present enemy of Israel and Canaan is the past enemy of Israel. Why do you think that of all the stories, and you know if you've ever read the the summary or the end of John's gospel, what does John say 
about his gospel and all the things that Jesus did. You know that the gospels are not exhaustive in what Jesus said and did. And John says what, Sandy? No, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to describe all the things that Jesus did. So what we understand by that is all the gospel writers were selective. They had a purpose and a meaning for what they were going to write. And Matthew seems to be, seems to be by sheer volume or in content, that he was wanting to emphasize Jesus' ministry to Gentiles. He really imagined the Bible starts out with the Magi coming, the Roman centurion, the Canaanite, the centurion at the cross. At the cross, nobody says anything positive about Jesus. The only one is the Roman centurion says this truly was the Son of God. And from the very beginning of the gospel to the end, Matthew wants to emphasize the aspect of Jesus' mission that we all know. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, everyone. See, the Pharisees didn't like what Jesus said and did. The disciples did not see the outreach scope of Jesus' mission because they were always getting upset with him reaching out to people who were not Jewish. The people in Samaria rejected Jesus and the town that he passes through on the way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And here's what the disciples want to do. Call down fire from heaven on them. And Jesus says, you don't understand what you are made, you're supposed to be about and the attitude. And Matthew constantly goes over and over again that a great person does not necessarily have a great faith. It's not that you're great. It's that you know how great Jesus is. So hear me. The most religious, the most theologically astute, the people who are seemingly the most right with God are not included at all with commendations that are positive from Jesus. So what about this woman? Turn to the text exactly now and look at verse 22. Look how this, and Matthew wants you to see yourself in this, and I want you to think about you because all of us as sinners before we're saved are in the same boat, okay? The Bible says in verse 22, and behold. Now, if you're studying the Bible, I'm going to give you some ideas about how you can go about doing it. The the, the, uh, word behold is used over 30 times in Matthew, and the interesting thing is not just how often it's used, It uses to describe and introduce stories that Matthew does not want you to forget. I.e., and behold, the heavens opened when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit came down. He wants you to see the awesome scene of Jesus being baptized. He writes in things like when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration and his garments turn as white and as glorious and they can't even hardly look on him. In Elijah and Moses, that whole story starts with a behold. Jesus does miraculous things. Angels come and visit him and they say, behold. Angels at the tomb, behold. Jesus heals people, raises people from the dead. The stories start with behold. And you go, wow, those are amazing stories. And Jesus says, yeah, I want you to put this one in that category. To have great faith like this woman, I want you to put that in all the categories 
of all the stories that have the word behold in front of them because that's how important what she is doing. He goes on, same verse, and describes her. Now look at the text. A woman, interesting in the original language, it is words in a row with nothing in between. Woman, Canaanite, it says, Tyre and Sidon. So he's going to build a one word after another to give this woman description because he wants you to see how far-fetched it is that she would even attempt this. So let me tell you about what she's doing. In rabbinical literature, it was forbidden for any woman to get within 10 feet of a rabbi in public. It would be totally unexpected and condemned if a woman would ask or talk to a rabbi, period, in public, including the rabbi's wife. (laughs) Don't try that at home. So no woman, Jewish would even do it, no woman is going to supposedly come up and try to talk to Jesus. There are two women in Matthew that are recorded in doing so. The one is this text. The only other one is glass. Who? Nope. Nope. Jesus started that conversation, right? Who's the only other woman that approaches Jesus and starts a conversation with him in Matthew's gospel, not John, right? She had two sons. Yeah, James and John's mom. Remember, she wanted to ask Jesus. They could sit on the left hand, the right hand of her king. king. She's the only one. But she's virtually family because they're all relatives, right? So you could see that she might get away with that. But the only woman who actually starts and has a conversation with Jesus on her own is this woman. It is out of line, She starts out out of line. And then when you find out that she shouldn't even be talking to him, and she's a woman, right? Which, by the way, obviously she didn't have nearly the respect if she was a man. And that's the way their culture was. And then it says, behold, woman, Canaanite. Okay? Canaanite, Tyre and Sidon are all about wickedness. Um, ancient enemies, all the Canaanites, even in our Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, you remember the text in Matthew eleven twenty one and 22? He says, if Tyre and Sidon had all the things done, miraculous things done, and heard the messages of Jesus, they would have repented long ago. There would be more tolerance for Tyre and Sidon than it would be for all those in Capernaum. Do you remember that story, that little line Jesus says? Because why? Tyre and Sidon are normally the measure of wickedness. And in Jesus' day, that little coastal area, Tyre and Sidon, was considered Gentile territory, even in Jesus' day. And Jews did not go there. So back up to the beginning, and I want to say it again. Why would Jesus walk from Jewish territory to Gentile territory, especially if it took him 35 miles walking there? Why? Because he wants to reach this woman, right? He wants to reach. Why did he, you read John 4, 4, I must go through 
Samaria. I had to go. Everybody else took the extra day and walked around. Jesus walked through. Let me give you an application, ready? Evangelistically. Jesus, if you're going to be like him, goes out of his way to meet and befriend and give the gospel to people that no one else wanted to. Not accidentally, purposely. Write it down as a study sometime that you can do. Go read through all the times, every gospel and every opportunity that Jesus had to give the gospel and see how many of them appear to be coincidental and how many of them come across as I did it on purpose. Jesus' life is mixed with both, but just as much he went in certain places to certain people purposely. He went to people that no one else wanted to talk to, be around, given the time of day, and everybody shunned. He went to Tyre and Sidon to a Canaanite woman on purpose because he wants, before he gives the Great Commission, he wants to live the Great Commission before them. And I want to tell you, if you're trying to be like Jesus, can I tell you, there are a lot of people out there, and let me tell you this, people that you probably wouldn't think would ever become a Christian, i.e. this woman, they could not only become Christians, but maybe they would be people that are considered by Jesus having great faith. The disciples certainly didn't believe it. They're always trying to limit Jesus' scope of who he talks to. They certainly didn't want to go over to the Gadarenes and, and see the demoniac guy. They didn't want any part of that. They didn't like Jesus touching all the lepers because they thought that that was beneath him. See, we have to be careful, don't we? That in our lives, that we don't think that anybody is beyond the grace of God. Anyone. And our Easter drama portrays that. And the reason why Jesus did it wasn't just because he was compassionate, although obviously that drove everything he did. But he was on a mission to demonstrate this is what God's story is all about. The Pharisees didn't get it. The disciples didn't get it. But crazy enough, this non-Jewish, non-theological woman gets it. Now, how do you know that, Pastor Walker? Look at the text. Look what she says to him. Have mercy on me. First of all, she says, O Lord, and that is a word, kurios, which means you're the master, you're the authority one. She's not Jewish. And, and four times in the text, 22, 25, and twice in 27, four times she can't stop calling him Lord. More than that, she says something that only two times more in Matthew by Jewish people is ever said to Jesus this Canaanite woman, outsider, Gentile, past enemy of God says that no one else does. You know what it is? Son of David. That is a completely Jewish name. You have to go back almost to the genealogies in the beginning of Matthew 1.1 to be able to see that this is completely the heritage of Jesus. Why does she know this and why does she say it? Because if Jesus is the son of David, that makes him Christ, the Messiah. And that means he is not only the fulfillment of the covenant, listen, for Jewish people, but also for Gentile people. 
She has read, without a doubt, she has read Isaiah. Somehow she has been able to read Isaiah and know that the Messiah, the servant God, the servant songs, that there would be a light to the Gentiles and they would be incorporated, that the people that were eunuchs and had been literally physically and spiritually cut off would now become equal, it says. They would be just as much a part of God's family as people who were born Jewish and were circumcised. She has read the texts. She has read the Bible and she has come to the conclusion, see, this is who he is. He is the Lord. He has authority. He can handle everything, including the demon that has been for a long time oppressing and controlling my daughter. See, he can, she can, he can handle it. In fact, I don't even know. She may not know this, but Jesus has four women in his genealogy. Two of them, like this woman, are Canaanite. Do you know who they are by name? Jamie, you're shaking your head. Who's one? No, she's Moabitess. But uh, Rahab is right. Rahab and T-A. Yes, Tamar. She is Canaanite. See, isn't that crazy? Jesus has two Canaanite women in his genealogy. And here it is, a Canaanite woman that comes to Jesus. You know why? Because that's why Jesus came. He came to save the outsider, the enemy, the one that no one else wants to reach. Let me tell you, when you believe that about Jesus, and I'll be done, what does it look like? Well, her faith, she puts it into action. Did you notice the verbs in the text, and with us I'll be done? She comes to Jesus, and at first she's standing. She had been loudly crying out loud, okay? She's standing. Jesus says nothing to her at first. And then she says, Lord, help me, after she said, Lord, have mercy on me. And it wasn't getting Jesus' attention, nor did it change his mind. So she goes from standing to, yeah, kneeling. Now, the, pro- the verb is properly and can be properly translated in our text, worshiped. But every time someone kneels doesn't mean that they're worshiping. Although she may worship Jesus because she did call him Lord and Son of David. But almost all the time it means this. That when you get on your knees in front of a master, you are begging. She's begging because she's not going to let Jesus go because she knows the truth about who he is and what he can do. I don't know, and the Bible doesn't say whether Jesus was testing her or not to see what she would believe and what she would do. But Matthew makes us know this. She is way different than the religious leaders and even his own disciples because she knows what the truth of the Bible is and who Jesus is, and she will not let it go. Let me tell you this. Is that you? Do you have a kind of great faith that no matter what circumstance or situation that you're in, no matter how it looks, no matter what, quote-unquote, Jesus' first responses might be to you, when nothing happens and it doesn't seem he's doing anything, 
It doesn't seem that he's answering your prayer and things go like it's not going to happen. Do you have a great faith that holds on to Jesus anyways and keeps coming to his throne, talking to him, asking him, because you have already got a hold of greatly who he is, what his plan is about, and what he can do. Do you hold on to that? Because here's what's true of faith. It acts out in persistency and keeps going after Jesus because it knows exactly who he is. And what he's all about. See, I don't know, and I hear some during prayer tonight. Maybe it's that you're struggling with a diagnosis that came up. Maybe there's a chronic illness. Maybe there's a need in your life that you don't know how it's going to meet. Gation already told us, and we all know, we don't like the uncertainties. (laughs) We don't like to know what's not on the horizon. I don't want to not know what tomorrow, next week, next month will bring. But you know what you have to do in all those circumstances? Have Hmm, faith. The question is, what kind of faith will it be? No faith, little faith, or great faith? Let's pray. Father, oh, <coughs> may the example of this Gentile outsider, Canaanite enemy of Israel, was able to see who Jesus was based on your word. And her daughter was delivered from the demon immediately because she was exactly right about who Jesus was. Great things happened in her life in response to her great faith. Oh, Father, how many stories are yet to be written by the people here tonight at Faith Baptist Church. Great stories about great faith if we will believe, if we will know who you are and act on it, if we will persist in a faith and holding on and getting together individually and corporately before your throne and saying, God, we ask you, do great things as we put our great faith in you. Oh, Father, I pray that we might be able to write our own stories of people who are not great in anyone else's eyes, but they know you, and therefore they have a great faith that even as Jesus said, if you had of a mustard seed, you would move mountains. Please help us to have that kind of faith. Because we are, are we not, Master? We are Faith Baptist Church. Help us to live it out, we pray in your name. Amen. You are dismissed.